Hello and welcome to the Artist Appeals. I'm your host, Erin Sparler, and today we're going to meet a hyper realistic artist. Have you ever heard of hyper realism? Hyper realism is artwork that is so real looking that it feels like a photograph, but it's not. It's either drawing or painting or illustration. This hyper realist artist works in colored pencil on a special substrate. He has patented his technique, which uses subtractive drawing methods, and he hosts workshops teaching said method. So please uh, join us as we start with a new five rapid fire questions with Tracy Frine. All right. So Tracy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good to see you. I have a question. I always want to know, how do you pronounce your last name? Frine. Frine. Okay. Yeah. Is that German? Yeah, it's German. Uh, yeah, that, the <laughs> E is silent. And I, even all through grade school, all through uh, academics, I've, teachers have had problems with it. I think only one or two people in my whole life have gotten it correct. <laughs> we heard that from John uh, Siderarius as well. His name is um, Greek, and it's incredibly hard to pronounce. All right. So, Tracy, this is going to be season five of the podcast, and I'm changing the format up just a little bit. I want to start with five rapid fire questions to kind of get to the meat of the thing um, right up front in the beginning. So some rapid fire right off the top of the head questions, and then we'll get into your backstory and the appeal system. So are you ready? Sure. You ready for our game? What is the one thing you love to create or do? What is the top number one thing you love to do? Uh, portraits. Okay. What is the one thing you hate to create the most or do? Well, I have to say it was abstract, but now it's changing. Really? Interesting. It's, it's changing now. I'm trying to now um, combine abstract with the hyperrealism. Mm, abstract hyperrealism. That's like an oxymoron. It is. <laughs> okay, here comes the doozy. What is the number one top selling thing that you do or make your art or product? What is the one piece of art, design, style, whatever that makes you the most money? Well, actually, probably my graphics work. Okay. All right. What is the funniest or weirdest piece of art you've ever made or sold or kind of experienced? This could also oh. be like, what is the weirdest thing that's happened to your art? Have you ever like had it stolen or lost or dropped it or got it damaged or just like, what's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you and your art? Uh, I donated a couple pieces to a foundation and one of them sold and uh, the other one was stuffed away in a closet for about four or five years and they, they found it. <laughs> they just stuffed it in a closet and forgot stuffed, about it. It wasn't, they didn't, nobody bid on it. So they didn't return it to me. They just stuffed it in a closet and five, about five years later, somebody contacted me and said they found it. <laughs> I had forgotten all about the piece. Oh, man. All right. And last, number five, what is the one most important piece of business advice you'd give to yourself if you were just starting out as a newbie artist? 
make it your own. And it's, uh, it's kind of the mantra I've always had. And I've kind of stressed on uh, young artists or even students that I teach in, in at uh, Little Street Art Center is make it your own. I think you spend too much time trying to chase other artists and trying to uh, be like other artists and their, copy their styles to the point where you get frustrated and it's not even really yours any longer. Mm. Um, and then I think that causes burnout. I think it causes burnout and frustration. Yeah. And you, you under, you try to figure out why if I'm drawing like, or painting like so-and-so, why am I not in this show or why am I not winning awards or selling pieces? Um, so make it your own. Good advice. Good advice. Find your niche, right? Right. That is really hard to do. All right. So that is a great segue into art. So we always do the artist appeals is, you know, the appeals system is an acronym. It stands for art, product, presentation, educate with story or how do you educate your audience, amplifying, getting bigger, licensing and contract deals or terms in basic English that anybody can understand. And finally, success. How do you measure success? So that's how I keep the podcast organized and kind of look for these common threads that all Mm -hmm. of the creatives have. So now that we've covered our new rapid fire five question uh, game, let's start with art. So you do hyper realism. What is hyper realism? And show us that big, beautiful piece behind you. Well, hyper realism is, I mean, most people, they can they identify with realism uh, opposed to abstract because they can understand it. And it's something that they still, they see in real life. Um, hyper realism is my portraits are hyper realism, um, lifelike uh, to the point where they even get as close as maybe drawing the pores of the skin or um, even with my subjects, my subjects aren't perfect because nobody's perfect looking. Even the flaws in my, my subjects are shown. Um, one of my models has um, scars on her body and even the nudes that I did with her, I could probably just make a drawing with a perfect body, perfect skins, but I end up putting the scars in it with her tattoos, with the blemishes on her face, with the, uh, the freckles um, uh, on her body to show that, you know, she's, so she's it's beautiful. Real. It's real. It's real. Yeah. 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 I have scars on my face. You probably can't see them, but I had um, forceps when I was born and oh. I have some little round scars there that when the hit light hits just right, you can totally see them, but it's personality, right? It's experience. Mm-hmm. That's all so you don't hide those things. No. Oh, I love it. And you do tend to draw a lot of female models, um, but you have a special technique. Do you not? Yes. Tell me about it. I have a technique called, I coined it as drawing by subtraction. And it's not really a technique that, uh, that I made up, but it's a technique that I made up for color pencil. And actually I I have it patented and I also have uh, uh, the name registered for color pencil art. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Patented. How do you patent an art technique? That's a new one for me. You just go to the patent office and online and um, there's some forms to fill out and you have to describe what it's being used for. So -hmm. the patent that I have for that is just used a technique used for color pencil. And then I have to describe what that technique is. 
Um, Did you have to do a patent search or get a patent attorney involved? Yeah, there's a patent attorney that, that you can get online to that'll help you kind of guide through the process uh-huh. um, and help with all the documentation. And, and then they, the patent office actually assigns you a patent number. And what's the point of having a patent? Well, the point is, and I've run into this even in the recent month, is you'll have artists who might take my workshop. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind them going back out and teaching other students this technique. But when you advertise it on your website or you advertise on your Facebook page, drawing by subtraction, I'm going to show this, my technique, so-and-so-and-so. And I don't, they don't give me a credit and they're also using my name where everybody knows that, especially in the color pencil society um, since 2012, that this technique has been patented and it's been trademarked. And this is the way Tracy Frying does all his artwork. Not a few of pieces here and there, all his artwork is done this way. So even the national, international art magazines that I've been in um, have recognized me with this technique. That is so cool. So that is fascinating because we've talked about copyright on this podcast before and the importance of of copyright, but I don't think we've ever talked about any artist patenting anything because normally patent is the territory of engineers or inventors, but you've invented a technique. So tell us a little bit about this technique of drawing through subtraction. The way I started this was I was doing color pencil art on drafting film. I work on a drafting film. It, it's semi-translucent. What is drafting film? Is it like 35 millimeter film, but just bigger? Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's almost like an acetate, but it has a frosted front and a frosted back. So mm. the, frost, the frosted front and the frosted back gives it a little bit of texture that uh-huh. you can adhere your color pencil to. If not, you're drawing directly on acetate, which is clear mm-hmm. and the color pencil will not adhere to that. Acetate. Right. Right. Back in college, I took a class in animation where we did drawn on film, but mm-hmm. you had to use like a Sharpie. Yeah. You had to use a Sharpie. Drew on film, but yeah, you couldn't, there would be no substrate. There would be no texture for the color pencil. Right. Okay. So you use this special substrate and then it's what called, do you do? Well, it's called uh, drafting film. Um, mm-hmm. and it's created by a company called graphics, G R A F I X. All right. And he has a frosted front and a frosted back. And I can tell, um, the different thicknesses of the film. And I, there's a film that I use that's five millimeters thick. So I Is had the big? film. Well, oh. you can, you can get it in small sheets. You can get it in large sheets. The sheets I use are 24 by 36, or I get a, a roll that's 43 inches wide by 20 yards. And just pull okay. off a roll. Okay. So what, what I do is I lay it down on, um, on my table. And then I take uh, a Prismacolor stick, which looks like this. It's the same, it's the same uh, ingredients as a Prismacolor color pencil has. Yeah. Except, it, except in, a, in a stick form. This kind of mm-hmm. looks like a pastel stick, but it's solid. Yeah, it's graphite. Is that a, it looks pretty shiny. Is that like a. A hard right one, now. like a 4H or a 6H? No, it's just. Oh, it's got it's the. It's got black. The, yeah, okay. It has, yeah. So it looks like this. Oh, so it's pretty right? hard. Okay. Yeah. So what I end up doing is um, 
I was trying to come up with a different technique for my drawings. I was doing my color pencil drawings in, in full color. Mm-hmm. I wasn't getting the emotion um, that I wanted to get out of the, my portraits. They just look like pretty color pencil portraits in full color. <clears throat> so I thought about doing it as the best way to ingrain emotion into your, your drawings is to cut down on your palette. So instead of just cutting down on the colors, I end up going just black and white. So <clears throat> what I had to do is try to figure out um, a technique. And I remember a technique back in college where we used to take uh, charcoal and we used to draw, take charcoal and cover a whole paper yeah. with charcoal stick or charcoal dust. I, whole paper I did that exercise. Black. I remember that. That's very <clears throat> classic. So then you take your, your racer. You needed an eraser. Yeah. And you draw with your eraser. Yeah. And I loved doing that uh, back in college and even after college. And I decided that um, if I can figure out how to do this in color pencil, maybe that's something I could try. Um, So I figured out one thing I need to do is I need to get the color pencil into a solvent. So I took the color pencil stick. Uh Uh-huh. And then I draw all over, just squiggly lines all over the drafting film. Uh huh. And depending on how dark my drawing is going to be, is how, pretty much I kind of figure out how much pigment I need. Okay. After I draw all these squiggles all over the sheet, <clears throat> then I have to turn it into a solvent. So then I take a spray that has terpenoid in it, which is a colorless and odorless blender, mm-hmm. and spray it on the sheet. And then I take a brush and I brush it all into the to the sheet of drafting film until cool. I get. So the drafting film is pretty much maybe a 75 to 90% gray covering the film. And there's a lot of texture into it too, from the brush. Mm -hmm. Then I let it dry. Yeah. And then what I do is I'll take the kneaded eraser and a Tombow eraser. Okay. Eraser that has has a cartridge and then I'll start pulling out all the highlights okay mm-hmm. so as i'm drawing i'm pulling out all these mid-tones and highlights creating them by pulling away the pigment off of the film with this and the needed eraser and this way it's almost like peeling an onion i'm, I'm actually scraping it away a percentage at a time to mm-hmm. a point where i have a drawing that may look like this or almost like this and then i go back in with my color pencil and this is a very fine color the very thin it's actually called but it's a super point of the color pencils um in black and i go back in and i start adding more of the detail that way neat now i usually never use white um Mm -hmm. i try to use the film which is like a pearlescent looking color okay use i use that for my my highlight right now if i I want like a watercolor add... artist would use the paper as the highlights. Right. So I figured out that'll be my, my hottest highlight. But if I want to go back in and I want to add some more white into an eye or you know, um, on the lips or something or even at the tip of the nose, just a very hot, hot, hot highlight, then I mm-hmm. will take a white color pencil and just add it sparingly. Okay. And then if I need to, I'll go back in with some grays of color pencil to, to start filling in some of the transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually with the erasers, um, I can peel away enough pigment and transition some of these grays into lighter colors with just pulling them out of the way. And I don't usually have to use a lot of 
color pencil or a lot of gray. Very cool. If I wanted to learn your technique, where would I learn it? Are you offering classes right now, now that the pandemic's open over? Or I'm, I'm getting ready over. to start almost <laughs> over. Yeah. I'm getting ready to start offering classes again. I usually offer classes um, about two or three workshops a year across the country. And usually uh, maybe a chapter in the Color Pencil Society will, will sponsor that workshop and I'll fly out to California or you know, Seattle or the, uh, the East Coast, West Coast, and, and perform these workshops. And usually there's about 25 to people, 25 to 30 people in, in the workshop. So I'm kind of getting together and starting up these classes again and adding some new stuff to the classes. Fantastic. That's really cool. I'm excited for that. Now, let's talk about how that works. So that's almost like a product, right? A lot of the um, artists that I talk to teach. It's one of the best ways to um, get the word out there. It's free marketing, it's um, connecting, it's networking. And I've heard over and over again from artists that teaching what they do, their technique has been one of the most uh, not profitable, not beneficial, but rewarding, surprisingly rewarding yeah. things that they do. Um, do you find it to be that too? Oh, absolutely. Um, when I walk into a class, a lot of workshops that I, I've gone to myself, um, you end up sitting in a chair, the instructor's at the front, she may he or she may have uh, the instructions on a screen and tell you what to do. And you're doing A, B, C, and D to get to the point where this picture looks like what's on the screen. Right. I didn't want to do that at all. Um, what I do is when I walk into a conference room for my workshop. For me, it's like Vegas. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of like a it's it's like a, sh a Vegas show for me. I start working the room, um, <laughs> even to the point where giving out chips, yeah. giving out <laughs> drinks. <laughs> but I but I work with every individual artist on their piece. And what I usually do is in most workshops, they give you a standard photo or a standard. Um, uh, image to work with. And so everybody's doing the same image. What I do with my workshop is I help the students even before they get to the workshop, come up, the, come up with a reference photo for that workshop, something that mm -hmm. has emotion to it, something that means a lot to you. So you're interested in working on it um, in the workshop, even after the workshop. So I'll yeah. help them pick out an, a, a reference photo. That's really um, good. I've been to some workshops where you're just repeating what the teacher did and I'm yeah. always trying to make it my own right. and, you know, and that throws a loop in things that makes it harder to teach, uh, but it makes it much more interesting for the student. Make it your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I want to thank you for joining me here on the Artist Appeals podcast where I your host, Aaron Sparler, interview every creative that I can get my grimy little hands on. And I ask all of them the question, how do you make money as an artist? We want to know. Aspiring minds want to know. That is the big elephant in the room, is it not? How do you make money as an artist? And to that effect, I'm very happy to announce that I have a new book. So, check it out. You can go to how to make money as an artist or how to make money with your art.com and you can check out the new book, The Artist Appeals. I've combed through all the transcripts from season 
one and two and pulled out the best quotes, the best stories I've even included, some not twos, and uh, compiled them all in a gorgeous book. It's taken years to come together. It's gloriously illustrated with graphics and photographs and examples and all sorts of good stuff. It's really accessible, really, really readable and uh, written in plain English. So please join me at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com and get your copy of the new book, theartistappeals.com. So we're talking about your workshops and that really falls under E for educate. Uh, So we kind of jumped forward. We talked a little about art, your art style, and then we normally talk about product and presentation. What is your end product? So we talked about this, these workshops because it fit well there. So your workshop is a product, right? Right. And um, you get paid to come do these workshops. Hey, do they pay for your flights? Yes, they pay for my flights. They pay for my luggage. They pay for my transportation back and forth. School? Even tra- <laughs> yeah, even my transportation from my house to the airport, they, they pay for, yes. Oh, really? So you keep yeah. all those receipts, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just business, yeah. Good, good, good. And do you get that in the contract first? Like, how do you negotiate yes. that? It's all on a contract, Um and also, you know, the contracts can be changed a little bit too, depending on who you're working with. Yeah. Um, they may say, uh, we don't need to pay for transportation for you from the airport to the site because we'll pick you up at the airport. Um, and sometimes they'll even offer, you know, instead of paying or staying at a hotel, you can stay at our house, um, you know, things like that. Um, but usually the con- my contract's pretty standard and it's usually pretty standard through all the artists color pencil artists because we all kind of talk together about rates and how much for workshops and Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it has to do with how many people are also in the workshop right Um, I try to limit my workshop no more than 35 people because I like to make sure that I get everybody some personal help and personal attention yeah Um, like I was saying I I walk around the room and help people with their work to a point where I may if they're at a point where they're stuck knowing that everybody else is probably going to have the same type of problem on their drawing too, I'll bring them up front in the conference room and then have everybody come up and I'll do a little demonstration. How do you fix a blemish on this face here? Or there's a texture going through the nose here uh, from your pigment. How do you get rid of that without ruining all the other texture? So uh, those type of things, I'll do like little demos to the, to the class. Very cool. Now, do you have a standard contract that you use or do you um, ask them for their contract or do you, um, you mentioned the Color Pencil Society. How did you evolve and get this contract and, and um, get into I think, this? I think, uh, well, I've sponsored uh, workshops in my chapter. We, the Color Pen Society of America has chapters all over the country. Um, I belong to the Chicago chapter. We have chapter members in the Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, Indiana. Um, and we've had workshops brought into um, our chapter. So I will bring those artists in and usually, you know, they have a contract too. So I've kind of taken, you know, learned about contracts with artists mm-hmm. years ago and figure out you know what you need in a contract and kind of base my contracts off of that. And then kind of base it off of what my needs are too and what needs I know that my students will need also. Um, and it might have to do with supplies too. 
how much supplies that the students will will supply and then how much I will bring in. Mm-hmm. Some, sometimes the students won't have to bring any, like drafting film is one of the supplies we'll need. But right. I can go to graphics and get the drafting film myself for free. Um, oh, graphics for is, free? Do they sponsor you or they yeah, just love yeah. that you use it? They, they're, they're like one of my sponsors uh, to the point where um, they had given me a whole roll of drafting film. It was like 43 inches wide by 20 yards um, nice. just to use one of my drawings um, in their traveling uh, uh, trade show booth. Oh, cool. So you go to their trade show and you're in their booth? No, my, my drawings are. My drawing is in oh, their booth. Oh, neat. <clears throat> How did you hook up with that? Um. Boy, I don't even remember. It's been such a long <laughs> time ago. Um, I think I was contacted by the CEO of Graphics because uh, I was asking about some of their products and um, they noticed that a lot of my, my drawings were on graphics and winning in awards and, <coughs> excuse me, winning in awards and um, thought it'd be a good idea for us to you know, form some sort of partnership. Uh, to a point where they wanted to show my artwork in their trade show booths because I was using their products differently than what they usually use it. Um, people yeah. usually use it as, yeah. What is, what's it normally used as? Um, it's usually, I guess, architects would use it. They would use pen and ink on it to draw floor plans. Okay. And then artists had started using it for color pencil and they were using it, you know, with color. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so a lot of color pencil artists were using it that way. And that's how I started using it until mm-hmm. I started using it in this different fashion where it got to be unique um, to the point where people were asking about workshops to get to know this technique. One thing about my technique that I've taught to my students is I can get from the beginning to the end of a drawing a lot faster than with my technique than you could if you had to actually draw every single little stroke. Right. And I don't have a lot of line work. It's all tone on tone on tone. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to I try to cut down on, on the line work. Cool. Very neat. Wow. That is so cool. So let's see if we can recap a little bit and then back up. We've talked about your art and how it's a new style, which I think is fascinating because if you look at art history, art history is really the people that get famous and recognized in art history are famous and recognized for creating new techniques. Maybe you'll go down in the books, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And then you have partnered with the substrate maker, the, the company that makes the medium, the substrate, not the medium, but the substrate that you work on and you patented that technique. That is fascinating. Um, so your product is not just the artwork, but also the workshops. Now with that partnership, that sponsorship with the graphics film company, um, is that like a, um, they give you free product. Do they also license the images from you or, um, no. Okay. No, just free product. Anytime I have a workshop, they ask me to just let them know how many, what they need, how many sheets you need, um, uh, you know, what sizes, mm-hmm. you know, what thickness, and else they send it to me. Right. Now, they show your artwork off in their booth. Do they offer sales of prints at those shows no. as well? No. No. Okay. No. Okay. 
Very interesting. So what other products do you make out of your artwork? So you have the originals for sale? Uh, the originals for sale. And then mm-hmm. um, I also sell prints. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm not. Do you do commission work as well? Uh, yes, I do commission work also. Uh-oh, you're, there you are. Now, when you do commissioned work for people, can you tell us a little bit about that process um, and what it entails, what the process is and how you um, ensure that they get the best product possible and that you protect yourself at the same time? Well, the problem with commissions is that they find your artwork, they want to do a commission and it's based off of your style. That's why they that's why they, they contact you. Of course. But but then they want to try to art direct everything as you go, and that doesn't work out for artists. And that's why I don't like that many commissions. Um, but I usually uh, set up a photo shoot, and we usually take maybe two hundred to three hundred shots, mm-hmm. and then I come up with maybe a half a dozen shots that I like, that I want, that I would think would be great for a drawing. Right. Um, and then pre- present it to the client and the client will pick out that photo or that, that image. And then I may do a couple of sketches with that mm-hmm. um, image um, and then present that and then go ahead and start working on the drawing. There'll be a certain spot where I'll actually go back to the client and show them work in progress. Maybe after you know, a week or so mm-hmm. to make sure that we're on the same track. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and usually it might take a month or two months, depending on, you know, what else I'm working on at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, usually get some, you, know, you get money up front, you may get money in, in the middle of it and you get money at, at the end. Cool. So you do thirds. Very cool. So yeah. deposit up front, money in the middle, money on receipt. On receipt. You know, it's interesting to talk to people about their commission work because I've had a couple of artists that on that do commission work. Like, um, I'm going to compare you to Garrett Owen. Um, Owen Garrett, <laughs> excuse me. Um, he's a hyper realist pencil artist um, in Canada, known as the Pencil Neck, and he does these hyper realistic drawings of antique oil mining rigs for the CEOs of like mining companies and stuff. And he's interesting because he'll do this um, process where he gets the photos and he composites them in Photoshop and Mm -hmm. he um, puts them together because the person commissioning the work will often say, I want this mining rig with this antique truck and this kind of, you know, shack over here or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then he sends them a kind of grainy print of the composited piece and has them sign on the print. And once that's done, he doesn't let them see the work in progress. Oh, interesting. All they get no input, no feedback until they get the work delivered. And um, his his contract or process is very fascinating to me because he sells the whole kit and caboodle in one fell swoop. He basically makes prints his wife is a master framer she has a framing business they'll make a run of prints they'll frame all the prints they get little plaques on the prints and then the company buys the entire run of prints to give away at their you know golf outing or Mm. to their top sales people or whatever you know their their rewards and then they throw in the original 
as a bonus sort of for the CEO or whatever. But it, it's, it's a fascinating process and it's a fascinating business model. And what's interesting about Owen Garrett is he does this hyper-realism like you, um, slightly different technique, but he's a colorblind. So he only oh. does black and white and he has this huge range of values because of that. Um, so I always find that fascinating. We also have um, talked to a number of other oil painters and stuff like that about their process as well. So thank you for sharing your process with us. Let's talk about um, presentation. Do you have any hard and fast rules about how you present your work um, or any tips or tricks? I don't go cheap when it comes to, I have all my work framed, um, especially for shows. And um, I used to frame them just a metal frame in Heyman shows until I took a couple of pieces to a gallery to show my work. And one of the things that the gallery owner mentioned was the cheap frames. So since then, mm. I've never used a metal frame since. Um, I actually have a framer about three blocks from my house here in Chicago. And he has three frames that are in the computer that are under my name where if I bring a piece in, I know I tell him I want my tier one, my tier two, or my tier three frame. My tier one frame, they're all by the same company, uh, Romano. They're out of Italy. Uh -huh. um, the frame, the tier one frame is the highest tier that I, depending on what show that I'm going to enter in, they'll have him frame. And the front of the frame is silver, but the side, I'm sorry, the front of the frame is black, but the side is silver, or the, the front of the frame is silver and the side is black. Ooh, nice. Um, is it wood or metal or? It's wood. It's wood. Okay. Is and, it a type of wood? Um, no, it's just a hard wood, but it has like a little texture in it too. Mm -hmm. um, it, the, the front of it is more of a, a silver or patina looking. Mm -hmm. um, and then the black is on the side is uh, like a gloss black. So it really is kind of accenting and bringing out the texture of your work, right? Coordinating. Right. right. The frame is, is accenting and coordinating with your work and augmenting that texture that's inherent in the substrate. Yeah. Yes. And then you have to pick out a mat. And that's kind of the trickiest part is picking out a mat that goes with my pieces. Oh yeah. I want I want a white mat, but you there's so many different colors of white that the framework yeah. has. So trying to pick out that right white mat, mm -hmm. not too white, not too creamy, not too stark, doesn't have any like any yellow in it. Right. <clears throat> so I try to stay away from things like that. Um, so he has the mat uh, number on his computer too. So when I order something, he knows exactly which mat I'm going to use. Yeah, so really, would... all my frame, framing is consistent. That is fantastic. That's a really great tip to have the framing consistent because then you could um, put pieces from different shows into a new show, a more recent show, and they're not going to look disjointed. Right, right. Now, do you use double mats or how wide is your mat? And do you use single or double? It's uh, my mats are usually about three inches wide, mm -hmm. showing three inches wide and they're thick. They're like, uh, is eight millimeters. I forget the, the size of it, but it's a thick mat. Okay. <clears throat> so, so it does cause, you know, the, uh, you do see um, some distance between the mat and um, the, the picture. Um, and well, really that's very important. I mean, the whole point of the mat 
is to keep the artwork off the glass, the right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I've always loved double and even triple matting for that added depth. It really is classy. But when you have a piece that's 35 by 46, it gets to be pretty expensive. Yes. And the frame themselves, my frames usually run me about six or seven hundred dollars mm. just for the for the for the framing. Wow. So yeah. and then because I do so much work with these guys that I always get like a 20% discount on everything. So everything mm -hmm. is a little cheaper. But knowing that, you know, I may have something framed and it may be sitting in my studio for a year or two years before it's sold. Um, it gets to be pretty costly. Um, if you're an artist who your, your sole way of making money is your artwork and that's what you've been doing all your life, that's kind of hard. But I fortunately, I'm retired as a retired graphic designer. So this is kind of like something I'm doing now since I'm retired. I can, I'm doing this full time. Right. Um, and it's your passion, though. I mean, yeah. you've you've created a new technique and you're reflecting the value of your work in the framing. Um, so let's actually talk pricing just for a minute, because I think it's important. We often hide this from people. We hide it from other artists or we hide it from the client. But I think it's really important that we actually share the amount of effort that goes into matting and framing and presenting work because it's like a Rolex, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you want something to be valuable, if you want something to be perceived as being valuable and for somebody to be proud and willing to pay top dollar for your work, then you have to present it in the best light possible. And how do you do that? you share the attention to detail that you put into it. So your work is all about attention to detail. And it sounds like your matting and framing is too. So when you mat and frame, and then you put your piece in it, how do you price your work? How do you um, value your work? I've heard different techniques, you know, um, for pricing a piece. Um, in wholesale and retail, you take the cost to make the product and you double the price to get wholesale, and then you double it again, or even 2.5, double in a little bit more for retail. But that doesn't work with our artists so much. How do you um, kind of, what is your general formula for pricing a piece? I actually have a formula that I figured out that, um, and I work at by inch, by square inch. Ooh. So depending on the size of the piece, um, I put it into my formula. Um, and it usually comes out pretty close to what I think it should be. Um, and it kind of keeps every, all my pieces um, consistent in pricing. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I have a piece that I know took me a lot longer to do. So I'll jack up the price a little bit for that. Or it could be a piece that's getting a lot of attention. It's been a lot of international magazines. Um, I may jack that price up just slightly also too. Right. Well, of course. So tell us a little bit about this formula. I'm fascinated. I want to hear. Well, I, I don't know the formula off the top of my head, but I have a, a spreadsheet in Excel that, um, that I figure out the, has a formula where I just multiply and I have a, a coefficient number that I multiply um, uh, the number of hours that may, I, I may spend on a, on a drawing. And that kind of helps me with the price or I have a coefficient that um, I will multiply it by the size of the piece. 
uh, so what is the coefficient? Bridges. Like, what are the it's things a, it's that a go number. into the formula? Um, so hours spent. Hours spent, uh, materials, materials used. Now, my materials themselves, to actually, it's not like a painter where you spend a lot of money on brushes and paint. My materials, my expendables are pretty inexpensive when it comes to the drafted film, the color pencils, the color pencil stick, the erasers, things like that. That's kind of the least of my expenses. The more expensive pieces are the the framing, the matting. Um, yeah, that's probably the, the uh, that's the biggest expense for any any artist is, is a framing matting. Yeah, yeah, and then your time spent too. You've got to have a price right. for your time. Yeah, um, your hourly. So you definitely track your time. Do you um, also include the time for the photo shoot? Say you're doing commission work. Well, I, yeah, actually, it's not just the time for the photo shoot. It's actually the expense for the photo shoot, too, because I may go to, I usually rent out a photographer's studio to do my photo shoots because oh. she'll have all the lighting set up for me. And mm -hmm. it's one stop that I just have to go to. And we all meet there. We shoot there. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not worrying about shooting outside and I'm not worrying about the weather. Um, yeah. And everything is is uh, all set up and ready to go once I walk in and I'm in within in and out within an hour. Oh, that's a great idea. Rent a photo studio for your shoot. I love that idea. So, and you incorporate all that into your pricing. Brilliant. That's, mm -hmm. that's really good. You've got to value your work. You really do. Hi there. And I just want to take a quick second to thank you for listening to the podcast. I did this podcast just randomly and for free and out of the blue because I had the question, how do you make money with your art? I wanted to know. I was teaching college for 12 years and then I started my own business and I think it's a question that we don't answer and we don't ask. It's the big elephant in the room. How do you make money as an artist? So I have taken all of these interviews over five seasons, all these amazing creatives, and I've compiled a book. That's right. There is now a book, The Artist Appeals, How to Make Money as an Artist in Seven Steps. So if you would like a gorgeously illustrated book with all of the best tips, tricks, quotes, stories, even some um, processes for how to create commissioned artwork, and even some stories of what not to do, mistakes that I have made and you don't want to make in your career, then please join me at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com and get your copy of the new book, The Artist Appeals, how to make money as an artist in seven steps. So just visit howtomakemoneywithyourart.com and get your copy today. Thanks a lot. Um, so we're jumping around today. We've talked about art and I'm fascinated that you patented your style. That is so cool. We've talked about I talked a little bit about product, the different products you do. We've talked about presentation now. We already hit on educate a little bit with your workshops. Let's talk about amplify next and how you get bigger and how you get the word out. Essentially, amplify is a fancy term for marketing, right? What are some tips and tricks um, that you've used to get out the word about your style and your methods and to promote your work? I think probably social media is probably the biggest. Um, and I think uh, when it comes to social media, Instagram for me, uh, I get the biggest bang for my buck. 
Facebook a little bit, but um, uh, usually you see a lot more artists on Instagram. That way you can get your, your word out to a vast amount of people. And then also some major art magazines also are on Instagram and they mm -hmm. find you also that way too. Use um, hashtags? I use hashtags. Um, I have a whole list of hashtags that I use and also uh, uh, the, the graphics um, film company, they've actually helped me with my hashtags. So um, those drawings will actually be sent back to their sites too. Um, so so you yeah, they help me them? out there. I tag them too. Yeah. I tag them and I'll also tag the, the models that I use too, if, if they want me to. So it'll go back to their site because um, most of the models I use are, they could be normal people, but I've lately I've been using one model. She's a fine arts model. So I mm -hmm. put hashtags in there. So they go back to her fine arts page um, oh. uh, and, and see you know, the kind of work that she does. And actually, when it goes back to her page too, some of my drawings that I've done of her are also on her page too. So she lets people know that this is, this is me, the, the fine arts model, but this is the type of work that comes out of uh, the artist that I actually I work with. So Neat. social media, Facebook and Instagram probably are about the biggest, mm -hmm. but they actually just drive everybody to your website. Um, people think that your website actually um, is the biggest uh, uh draw but actually social media takes you to the website if you didn't have that you people wouldn't be able to find your website unless it's by word of mouth so it's actually probably more of um tagging and less of hashtagging because there's two types of tagging right so there's hashtags that use the hashtag and then there's the at symbol that links you yeah. to the other person's profile yes. so you use a combination of both of Do those a combination of both of those yes yes and yeah. i'm i'm not social media savvy so i have my graphics people they kind of help me um they give a whole list of hashtags for me to use for what i'm when i'm placing on facebook or if i'm going to place this on instagram um, so, so they research it <clears throat> they well, research it for you and then you have like a folder or a file where you copy and paste i just copy and paste yes Cool. Yeah, that's a that's a real time saver. So you don't have to think about it. No. Do you have different hashtags you use for different artwork or you just use? No. Um, okay, cool. I mean, so once I you've throw, got it. Yeah, what I may add a couple of uh, something different uh, once in a while, but mm -hmm. um, I don't really spend a lot of time doing that. I, I may, a lot of the stuff I do, I'll, I'll post like works in progress. Um, but I I don't have that type time that type of time to spend on social media as much as some people do. I mean, that's for you could hire somebody to do that for yourself to do that for you all day. Oh yeah, it can take up your whole life. So, how often do you post then? I may post once every two weeks, depending on what I'm working on. If I'm in oh, the middle wow. of a drawing, uh -huh. if I'm in the middle of a drawing, I may post once a week on the progress or. For certain part of the drawing that might be interesting for people to work on like a veil or the technique in a veil <clears throat> i'll post as i'm drawing it maybe a video so um, you'll do a live yeah i do a live one not a live but a video okay and then you post it after then i post it after yes do you ever use stories yes once in a while but again i don't spend a lot of time on I'm, yeah i i want to this is supposed this is fun for me for you know as i'm you know retired now so i don't want keep to make it fun. i yeah i don't want to make it a whole new job for me um, yeah and then i have uh some major magazines that uh will post my artwork and i'll um 
I'll repost it to my different sites and everything. Um, Artist Magazine, Artist International, Artist uh, Collectors or Connoisseur. Um, they'll highlight some of my work and they'll post it and I'll pass it on to uh, the people who follow me. Oh, neat. How do you get into those magazines? Um, a lot of times it may be a call for artists and you're selected. And um, also what I also do is... Um, because I've been in some of these magazines several times, uh, they may have a special promotion for writing an ad. And so I'll even run a half page ad or a quarter page ad just to help re-promote your work or promote uh, your portraits. Um, in uh, American Connoisseur Magazine or American Art Collectors Magazine, they're going to have a, a directory in one of the issues that have portrait artists in it. And they give you a nice rate to uh, put a small little ad in there. So when people are looking for portrait artists, they can look at this directory that they're, they come up with and find a portrait artist that kind of fits what they're looking for. Interesting. Um, and you found that successful. I found it successful. I mean, it, it, I'm getting a lot more notice and recognition. Um, it's just something I've recently started doing in the past year or so. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost like during the pandemic when people weren't spending money, during the recession years ago, people weren't spending money, but the people that were actually making it at the out the other end were the people that were actually spending the money when other people weren't. Mm. Right, right. Interesting. Where do you find those calls for submission to get into these magazines? Are they listed on their sites or is there one master site? It could be listed on their site for their magazine, or it could be on Cafe Entry, which is a site where artists go to enter other shows across the country. Oh, um, cafe entry. Cafe, I've yeah. forgotten about that site. I hadn't heard that term in years. Oh, I forgot about that. But yeah, most of the times it's magazines will send out uh, an email blast saying that um, uh, August issue is going to be on figurative art. Um, submit your entries, you know, and you'll go on to their magazine on their website, submit five entries and they'll let you know if they've selected any of the entries or not, or that drawing magazine used to have a, they have a drawing contest. Um, uh, one magazine has a, a drawing over 60 contest. So all artists that are over 60 can enter the, this contest and um, uh, you can win you know, a little bit of money. It's not a whole lot of money, but it's a lot of recognition and you're in their magazine and on their site. Yeah, and that's, that's social proof. Yeah. Called social proof. How did you find the magazines? Do you, did you just go to the bookstore and look at magazines that you thought you'd fit in and then go to their website and join their newsletter and you, you get these blasts then? Well, I, I, I started looking at these magazines many, many years ago. I mean, even back in high school. Mm -hmm. So I've always known these magazines are out and then new magazines have come up throughout the years. And you, yeah, you walk into the bookstore and you see the rack of magazines and one section is art, art magazines and you think, wow, oh, love to be in those magazines. And um, sooner or later, you start getting your artwork recognized more and more around the country and around the world. And then uh, these opportunities start coming before you. And um, sometimes, it, you know, there's opportunities that you really can't pass up or they want to do a, a little editorial about your, your artwork. Um, that also helps, too. Yeah, but, definitely. Yeah, and then I'm yeah I'm always getting an email blast from these magazines, or um, uh, they may have a show that's coming up uh, every year, 
at the mm -hmm. same time. So I kind of had that on my calendar knowing that, okay, uh, that show's coming up. So I got to make sure I have a piece I'm, I'm, that's going to fit that show uh, ready um, to upload. Yeah. Speaking of shows, are there any particular <laughs> conferences that you as a fine artist and a hyper-realistic artist at that go to um, on like an annual basis? Are there any shows that you love and go to all the time or recommend? Well, I think for me, uh, my biggest show is a Color Pencil Society of America show. I'm a member of their uh, of that group and a member of their local chapter. <clears throat> I used to be the president here of the local chapter years ago. Cool. But the reason why I like that show the best because it's you're with other color pencil artists and they become friends of yours throughout the years and. Um, you follow them and you try to mimic their artwork and you've learned from them. You've learned workshops from them, but also the prize money in their international show, which is every year about this time is the biggest prize money of all the shows I've entered. I mean, first prize is a little over five grand. Most shows that I entered top prize may be $500, a thousand dollars. Yeah. But the Society has, they range from 5,000 to like maybe uh, a few hundred dollars um, in their awards. So um, <clears throat> I like to enter that show every year. And you know, it's always a, a tough show to, to enter. Um, mm -hmm. but I've been fortunate enough to get, enter it and get accepted in quite a bit. Interesting. Are there any um, shows outside of your field that you kind of do? You know, one of, I'll go back to Owen Garrett there for a minute or um, Maria Brophy was on the show and they both talked about how they go to shows that aren't within the art world. They yeah. align their art marketing with the niche they're in. So like Maria Brophy is the agent for Drew Brophy, who's a renowned surf artist. So they go to surf events. Yeah, They go to, you know, and then he'll do a demo on a surfboard or Owen Garrett. He doesn't go to, an art show, he goes to an um, oil mining show, <laughs> an oil conference in Dubai, <laughs> you know, are there any, but you do fine art portraits. Um, are there any conferences that you think you would consider going well, the, to? Um, <clears throat> probably uh, the realism conference they have every year back oh, down okay. in Florida. Okay. Um, but the shows I, I've entered, most of the shows I do enter aren't all color pencil artists. Um, yeah. You have painters, sculptors. I mean, uh, one show that I'm in right now, it's called Real People that I enter every year. And it's way out in the Chicago suburbs. Um, and then there's a show that I, I'm going to be in on Sunday that I'm going to reception for, for the Chicago Alliance of Visual Artists. Um, and that's artists in the Chicago area that are all different mediums. Um, I like to enter those shows because I like to be able to have my color pencil artwork stand up with painters, sculptures, or, or you know, other, other mediums. Um, I the like color that pencil, idea. The color pencil society work. I like to show in that because I, it's a lot of, it's a prestigious show. And a lot of my friends that are color pencil artists, majority of my friends that are color pencil artists are in those shows. And it's, and it's a show that's hard to get accepted in. It's a color pencil show that, takes entries from all over the world. Wow. And that's why it's hard to get into. Very cool. I have my fingers crossed because I didn't want to forget to ask you about your new 
artistic endeavor, your new kind of art style of combining hyperrealism and abstraction. That's fascinating to me because it's an oxymoron. How do you combine hyperrealistic <laughs> portraiture with abstraction? <laughs> well, I that's kind of tough too. What I have to do is um, I I try to do something that was totally abstract one time and it, I lasted for probably about 30 seconds before I actually got physically <laughs> nauseous. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I froze. Oh, wait, if you uh, threw up on the painting, wouldn't that be yeah, art? That, well, yeah, that <laughs> would be. That. There you go. But what I've started to do is I, you get to a point where I was doing realism, hyper-realism, and I wanted to do something a little more interesting. Um, so I've actually started taking the drawing that I have up in the Chicago Alliance of Visual Artists show this Sunday. It's called Picture of My Dreams. And um, the face itself is real. But okay. the hair and everything around is, is all abstract. Mm. Um, so I try to incorporate things like that where I can in, in the drawing to make it a little more abstract. Um, even to a point where there's a drawing that I'm working on, like this one here. Ooh, do show us. I love to see work in progress. Ooh. It looks so, like galaxies. So now I'm, it's actually um, flower. I'm actually, I have a couple of drawings I've been working on where I actually um explode flour like baking flour like baking flour yeah on the piece uh no on the model oh cool and see the picture why the, the, the why the bacon flour is exploding so i'm actually doing stuff like that where you start getting more abstract like here on the top yeah yeah it looks like galaxies it's beautiful <laughs> neat so yeah oh. i'm trying trying to take the portraits i uh, usually do are not your traditional looking portraits that you usually see that come out of you know, maybe a drawing class i try to make them a little more innovative um a little more interesting than a, a typical portrait right right always looking for that neat angle and composition right. and something a little bit different right mm -hmm. um before we get into the last letter of the appeals acronym. So we've talked about art. We've talked about product. We've talked about presentation. We've talked about educating and amplifying and licensing and contracts. And the last one's going to be success. But before we do that, I want to talk just a little bit about your career as a product designer and a packaging designer uh, prior to this recent incarnation of you being this fine artist. So can you just recap your whole life in sure. about five seconds? <laughs> no, yeah. Um, I really spent my whole <laughs> life from the time I walked out of college until retirement in package design. So I've worked on some iconic packages that you would buy in your grocery store um, to the point where from Aunt Jemima syrup to when Aunt Jemima used to have the handkerchief around her head and they modernized her to the point where now, you know, she's no longer on the package. Um, Michael Jordan on Gatorade, uh, products that you've never even heard before. And they, they're now bagel bites, you know, things like that, that are brand were brand new products years ago. Um, so laundry... you studied packaging design in college? No. No, there no. was no there, there was no course. I, I graduated in design in college and um, somehow I got I took my portfolio around different agencies in Chicago. And okay. for some reason, I was hitting on packaging design because that was like the seemed like the 
more design agencies were doing packaging and mm-hmm. it was paying a lot more money. And um, uh, that's where I kind of landed. And that's where I've been in my whole life to a point where I was just not doing the graphics and creating the graphics um, for packages. Um, but later on in life, I started playing around with even doing product design, designing products um, mm-hmm. that actually go in the package. And how did you transition from packaging design? So you must have been doing a lot of that by hand, right? Um, how did you transition from packaging design to fine art, hyper-realistic portraiture? Where was that moment? What was that catalyst that you said, I, I got to do this? Well, all my life, I've been an artist. It's all I wanted to be. When I was a little kid, I wanted to be a commercial artist. So I wanted to always yeah. be drawing. Um, so my whole life has been nothing but art. And usually you have people that you work with who do fine arts on the side. So you go to yeah. their shows and you're interested in it, in it. I had a boss that I worked with that um, he was showing in different galleries in, in Chicago area. So I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, you work at the design agency all day long. And then now you're going to a gallery opening with your work in it. So I got interested in doing that. And um, there was one day that he had a contest for his, or the employees where you had to come up with a piece of artwork and the gallery owner that was in the bottom of our building, um, was going to judge it. And, um, I did a piece, he gave me first place. Um, I think I got like $500 for it. Oh, cool. And I thought, well, great. I, you know, I got to keep going on doing this. And it was in colored pencil at the time too. Yeah. Um, so I, that's all I've been working in with colored pencil. Um, and I knew that as I was working full time, once I retired, I still wanted to continue doing this. And now I get to spend more, as much time as I want doing it. Very interesting. That is fascinating. So you don't have to be one or the other and you can transition. Sure. All right. Let's talk about the last letter of the appeals acronym S for success. How do you measure success, Tracy? How do you define and measure and celebrate success? Well, for me, it's not the money. Um, I don't make as much money selling my artwork as I did in my professional field. Um, So it's not the money. It's really the recognition. It's recognition in major magazines or magazines I've always wanted to be into. It's people recognizing your work all over the world and wanting to follow your work and asking you how you did this. And then you also find artists that you just love to follow. And then they're coming back to you and saying, that picture you did is magnificent. That's beautiful. How'd you do that? Um, and being recognized in different shows side by side with other artists and, and winning awards. So that's what I, that for me, that's my success. It's it really, and if I get a collector who wants to buy my pieces, that's fine. Um, I sell a few prints. I don't sell a lot of prints. Um, I do this for fun. Um, and then all the other gravy that comes with it is fantastic. But for me, success is just being recognized for my work um, on a high level. Mm-hmm. Um, working in graphic design all my life, I've always worked with big clients like Kraft and Quaker Oats and some of the biggest corporations. So all my work that I've done in graphic wise has been at the top level. So that's where I want my fine arts work to be also is at the top level. Well, you have definitely hit the top level with your features in magazines and your workshops that you get to fly around and 
get paid to do. Your work is top notch. It is thank you. beautiful. I want to thank you for all of the fantastic information you shared with us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Appreciate Tracy. It. All right. So thank you. And I will pause this now. I want to thank you for listening to the Artist Appeals. I hope you've enjoyed these episodes. I've recorded these free of charge to anybody. But if you'd like to buy something, we do now have a book for sale. That's right. (laughs) I'm so excited. I actually wrote a book with a little help from our guests. I took the transcripts from the first two seasons and I combed them line for line to find the best quotes, the best stories, the most actionable advice on how to make commissioned artwork and all sorts of things. And I put them all in a book. Combine them with my experiences. I even put in some don't do this, make this mistake type of articles. And we've made it into a gloriously beautiful, colorful, fully illustrated with lots of pictures and lots of examples book. You can check out the book at howtomakemoneyasanartist.com. That's right. That's the domain name, howtomakemoneyasanartist.com. You can get to it from theartistappeals.com as well, but just visit howtomakemoneyasanartist.com to order your copy of the new book, The Artist Appeals. I'm very proud of it, and I think you're going to love it. Thanks for joining me on The Artist Appeals, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.